Well, welcome again to Trinity Grace. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. As many of you will know, we're in the middle of a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a sermon that was given by Jesus, likely many times during his earthly ministry. And it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has been addressing his followers and how they're called to relate to the world around them. Jesus has been painting a picture for us of what the good life looks like in relation to ourselves and to other people. Basically, in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been addressing our horizontal relationships. And this morning, we move into chapter 6 as Jesus begins addressing how we relate to God. Or Jesus begins painting a picture of what the good life looks like in our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's this aspect that we're going to turn our attention to for the next few weeks as we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's been a while since I've been emotionally invested in American Idol. I didn't know how to make this transition, so this is the best way to do it. I don't know if any of y'all still watch American Idol. You might remember American Idol, the singing competition show that was unbelievably popular about a decade ago. And the show's lost a lot of traction over the past few years, but there have been other shows that have come and filled its place, shows like America's Got Talent or The Voice. And my kids, when they get the opportunity, they love watching The Voice on TV. And it's a show where contestants sing in front of four celebrity musicians in hopes that one of the celebrity musicians will actually like them enough to make them a part of their team and to mentor them. And as we watch the show together... It's hard to imagine the pressure and the anxiety that each contestant must be feeling as they pick up the microphone to perform. I mean, they've been practicing for years. Their family is there in the audience watching. They're in front of a massive crowd locally, and then millions of people are watching on TV. And everything the singer does on stage during The Voice is meant to impress It's meant to get people's attention. It's meant to earn people's admiration. These singers are performing in order to win people's approval. After all, it's a talent show. And it's a good image to have in our mind this morning because Jesus, in our passage that we're about to read, is addressing a talent show mentality. You'll notice that Jesus uses the term hypocrite throughout the passage that we're about to read. And the word hypocrite comes from the classical Greek word that refers to an actor on stage. Typically an actor that wears a mask. And Jesus is using the word for those who are playing a part when it comes to spirituality. They're not being themselves. Hypocrites are those who assume a false identity in order to win approval. And we could rightly use the phrase show off in place of hypocrite. And in this passage, these people are using religion to show off. They're using spirituality to show off to others. Now, playing a part isn't really a problem when it comes to the voice or a talent show in general, but it's a deadly problem when we wear a mask or play a part when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our spirituality. And we're all prone to do it to one degree or another. To see how Jesus addresses this, you follow along as I read Matthew chapter 6. It's printed for you in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, so their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen, not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. So let me pray for us before we look at it together. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the way that it shapes and forms our hearts, for the way that it shows us who Jesus is and what he wants in our lives. And we pray this morning that he, we would see his beauty, that we would see his grace, and that as we experience your grace, that it would set us free from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, I got the chance to visit New York City, and it was a great trip, and I've never been in a city quite like New York City. There's buildings all around. You can't really see the sky unless you look straight up into the air. There's lights all over. Even in the middle of the night, the city is completely lit up. There's people everywhere. If you're a people watcher or if you enjoy culture, New York City is hard to beat as a city. And while I was there, I had the chance to see Les Mis on Broadway. I visited the Statue of Liberty. I actually saw the Twin Towers with my own two eyes when they were still standing. This was pre-9-11. But one of the things that was most exciting about New York City, especially for a young student like I was at the time, was the stuff you could buy from the street vendors. I don't know if these street vendors are still around in New York City, but they would camp out on the corners. And to my embarrassment now, I spent a lot of my time in New York City haggling with these street vendors over the price of Oakley sunglasses, okay? Now, normally a pair of Oakley sunglasses can run in, you know, the neighborhood of a few hundred dollars, but I could get a pair for $8 on the streets of New York City, and I bought four or five of them. Now, I bet it won't take you long to guess what happened to these sunglasses. Over the coming weeks and days, the paint began to peel off. The lenses began to scratch. The screws uh, would break because they weren't authentic sunglasses, right? They were counterfeits. In fact, you could buy a lot of counterfeit material on the streets of New York City. Rolex watches, Kate Spade bags, Nike tennis shoes. And all of these items looked and worked great at first, but they wound up disappointing in the end because they weren't authentic. They weren't made to last. They were counterfeit products. And we see this idea of authentic and counterfeit in our passage this morning. Jesus in this passage is addressing counterfeit spirituality and he's placing it against authentic spirituality. Jesus is reminding us that when it comes to our relationship with God, we've got two options, counterfeit or authentic. In fact, we're going to look at this passage under those two contrasting headings this morning, counterfeit spirituality and authentic spirituality. 
And when it comes to the good life and the life that Jesus wants us to live and how we relate with God, one of the temptations that we're all prone to in one degree or another is counterfeit spirituality. Counterfeit spirituality is on display in this passage by the hypocrites that Jesus speaks of in verses 2, 5, and 16. These are people who engage in spiritual disciplines. They engage in giving to others and praying to God and fasting, but they do it all with the wrong motivations. And the question for us is, what are their motivations? Well, we see it as Jesus sets this passage up with an introduction in verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It could be translated, in order to be theater to them. Do not practice your righteousness in front of other people so that you might gain their respect and their honor. The hypocrite is a person who's on a stage, who's wearing a mask, who's seeking to impress by his or her performance. They aren't so much concerned with the spiritual disciplines themselves or their relationship with God. Their primary concern is what other people think of them. And so they practice their righteousness in order to be seen by people. And that's the problem. Their motivation is misguided. Instead of engaging in these disciplines of prayer and giving and fasting to get more of God, to help others, to exercise control over themselves, they engage in these disciplines and spirituality to receive honor and praise from people. It's a spirituality that's really very selfish. It's not focused on God at all, but on themselves in a backwards way. In fact, hypocrites are willing to use other, they're willing to use God, they're even willing to use themselves in order to feel good about who they are. I wonder if you've ever considered that righteousness can be harmful. According to Jesus, it it can be when we practice our righteousness in order to be seen or in order to be theater to other people, to garner their respect and their attention. It's subtle, but it's dangerous, and we all fall into this trap. We see it in verse 2. As the hypocrite gives to the needy, Jesus paints a picture of someone hiring a trumpet player to walk in front of them as they toss coins to the poor. The phrase tooting your own horn comes to mind when you read this verse. This person is concerned with what others think about his or her giving, who wants everyone to know how much he gives. But he's not really caring for the poor, if you think about it. He's caring for himself. In fact, this person is using the poor in order to feel better about himself. We see counterfeit spirituality again in verse 5. As the hypocrite prays to God. In those days, devout Jews would pray three times a day. In fact, they were required to stop everything and pray once the time of prayer arrived on that given day. Now, the hypocrite that Jesus speaks of in this passage loved it when the time of prayer came in the middle of his busy day. They loved having to stop in the middle of crowds in order to pray. They loved the praise and the admiration of other people because of their piety, because of their many words, because of their beautiful prayers. These people, though, weren't really talking to God. They were talking to themselves. They're praying to themselves. This person is just using God in order to feel better about themselves. We see counterfeit spirituality again in verse 16. 
as the hypocrite fasts. In those days, devout Jews would fast twice a week. They would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And fasting was meant to be a practice of self-denial and self-discipline. It's a discipline where people deny themselves so that they might feel their frailty, they might feel their humanity, and they might depend on God alone. But the hypocrites fasted in such a way that they made it obvious that they were fasting. They looked gloomy and they disfigured their faces so that it was evident what they were doing. They did this so that others would look at them and admire their devotion. These people are not really practicing self-discipline and dependence. They're engaged in self-indulgence. They're using themselves in order to feel better about themselves. The hypocrites do all this so that they might be seen. They're on a stage. Their life is a spiritual talent show in a sense. They love the admiration and the praise of other people. And Jesus says that they'll have no reward from God because they've received their reward. And it's a raw deal in some ways. They've received all the reward they'll ever get and it's people's admiration. And I'll tell you, in the here and now, people's admiration can feel really nice. It feels really good. You and I are prone to the same mentality that the hypocrites have in this passage. We are prone to be show-offs when it comes to our good works. And it's so tempting for you and I to, to practice our righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. I remember being at a month-long Young Life camp as a staff worker a few years back. And every morning we'd gather to pray with one another. And I distinctly remember after praying one morning, another guy came up to me, another staff member came up to me and said, I love the way you pray. And man, it felt so good, but he couldn't have said something more dangerous for me, spiritually speaking, because for the rest of the month, I found myself trying to impress them more and more as the month wore on and I was no longer praying to God in those moments. I was using those meetings, praying to God to make myself feel better about myself. And it was a never-ending treadmill because they couldn't have told me enough how much they appreciated my prayers. In fact, if they told me this day, I wanted more the next day. I wanted another hit. It was addictive. And the danger for you and I is that this counterfeit spirituality is so subtle. It's subtle because we're doing good things. We're praying, we're giving, we're fasting. Most of the time, we don't even realize we're using ourselves or using God or using other people to make ourselves feel good. It may slip into your conversation in very nonchalant ways. We do it all the time. Say things like, well, I just spent this morning in prayer. Um, Or I'm fasting this Lent season. Or I'm a major supporter of this particular charity or ministry. We want people desperately to know about our spirituality because we're scared deep down that it won't properly be recognized. And Jesus is telling us that if we have that mentality, then we've received our reward. We get praise and honor from man when we engage in in counterfeit spirituality, when we live as though we're on stage. But there's another way presented by Jesus in this passage, and it's the way of authentic spirituality. And it's the way of the good life, the beautiful life, the life that Jesus wants for you and me. One author put it this way, hypocrisy is the exhausting scandal of living two lives where spiritual integrity is the restful simplicity of living one life. 
It's important to realize that Jesus actually expects righteous deeds from us. He expects us to practice our righteousness. He wants us to give to the needy. He wants us to pray to him. He wants us to fast and deny ourselves. You can see that Jesus continually says, when you give and when you pray and when you fast. He does not say if you give or if you pray or if you fast. These are expected practices of the followers of Christ. And Jesus, once again, is getting to the heart of the matter here. What are you motivated by as you engage in these spiritual disciplines? Is your eye set on man or is it set on God? Are you looking for the acclaim of man or are you looking for the acclaim of God? That's the issue that Jesus is getting at in this passage. We see Jesus endorse a gospel modesty. a, A gospel modesty when it comes to our spiritual disciplines. He wants us to practice our righteousness in secret, not to be seen by man. We see this gospel modesty in verse 3, where Jesus exhorts us to do our giving in secret. Not even letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, uh, of course, this shouldn't be taken literally. After all, in order to write a check or to give money, both of your hands have to be involved, right? But Jesus is using illustrative language to stress his point. He's saying, don't even begin to feel good about yourself as you give. Don't be impressed with yourself. And that's hard. Because if you're anything like me, you begin to feel pretty good about yourself because of your sacrifices of time to serve the poor or the money that you've given. You know, the end of the tax year when you receive all the money that you've given that year. Man, that is a time where my head could be puffed up with pride. Because who cares if others see it? I mean, I see it and I feel good about myself. And that's what Jesus is warning about here. He's, he's, he's encouraging us to an absolute self-forgetfulness when it comes to how we give to others. We see Jesus highlight authentic spirituality again in verse 6 when he encourages his followers to pray in their room with their door shut, keeping the conversation private between them and God. Now, prayer is not a form of evangelism. A lot of times we treat it that way, right? Maybe we're out to eat at lunch and we pray in hopes that others will see us. Or we pray long prayers at prayer meetings in hopes that people compliment us. Like me, I'm sure y'all never do that. Uh, But I did. We're meant to keep the conversation private. Jesus here, it's important to say, isn't in this passage telling us um, that we should not pray corporately. Many times throughout the Bible, we are called to pray corporately. We're called to pray out loud. He's hitting at the motivations here. He's specifically saying that you should not pray in order to be seen by men so that you might garner their attention and their adoration. He's not saying it's wrong to be seen praying. He's saying that it's wrong to pray in order to be seen. And it's a heart motivation difference. We see Jesus again point us in the direction of authentic spirituality in verse 17. When he encourages his followers to wash their face and anoint their heads when they fast. He doesn't want his followers to walk around looking gloomy and disfiguring their faces when they fast. In a sense, he's saying you should comb your hair and you should shave when you fast. Look normal when you practice these disciplines. Keep it secret and your father who sees in secret is going to reward you. And so the question is, I mean, bottom line... Are you willing to be anonymous? 
Do you really believe that God sees? Is God's approval enough? It's easy to fool a human audience. I mean, if you wanted an earthly reward, you could have it fairly simply. Just learn to pray good prayers, tell folks about where and what you give, and you'll have a pretty substantial reward. But God is not fooled. He knows our hearts. He wants his followers to be concerned with an audience of one, with God who sees in secret and promises a greater reward than human acclaim could ever offer. Jesus wants your spirituality to be authentic, to be centered correctly, to be directed towards the right audience. Jesus wants to liberate us from having to impress other people, from wearing a mask, from playing a show, including ourselves. He wants to give us the restful simplicity of living a single life. And you may be thinking at this point, how can I make my spirituality authentic? Got these two choices. How do I move towards the choice that Jesus wants for me? What's the key difference between counterfeit and authentic spirituality? Well, there's a hint contained in this passage. And it's the word father. Father. Did you notice that the word is used by Jesus throughout the passage? It's only used 17 times in all the Sermon on the Mount, and 10 of those times is used in these verses, verses 1 through 18. And it's used six times in the verses specifically that we looked at this morning. So the question is, what is it that will turn us away from counterfeit spirituality and towards the authentic spirituality that Jesus wants for us? What is it that's going to turn us away from man's approval to God's approval? Well, that'll change as you and I begin to believe and understand more deeply that God is our Father. As you and I embrace our adoption. When we find security and significance in who God says that we are, not what other people think about us. We'll be able to move towards authentic spirituality, the spirituality that Jesus speaks of in this passage. We've got to know our family identity and operate out of that identity, operate as a son or a daughter of our Father in heaven. Look, you likely noticed in this passage, and it kind of gets under some people's skin, that Jesus uses the motivation of rewards. He talks about rewards through this passage. You can have your reward now from other people, or you can have the reward that the Father wants to give you. And a father's reward to his child is the father's greater closeness. It's the father drawing closer to his child. And it's the reward that you and I should desire and seek. It's the reward that you and I were made for, to be closer to our father. I like how C.S. Lewis touches on this idea of rewards in his book, The Weight of Glory, when he says this. We must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian's life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of reward. There's the reward which has no natural connection with things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. It says money is not the natural reward of love. That's why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he's not mercenary for desiring it. 
The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they're given, but are the activity itself in consummation. That's what Lewis says. And so as we pray, as we give, as we fast, as we practice any spiritual discipline, what we get is more of God. We get more closeness to Him, and that is the reward. That's the activity itself in consummation. That's what we should be desiring and going after is more of God. And in order to do this, we have to know God as a loving father. See, the problem with the heart of a hypocrite is that he doesn't know God as father. She's insecure because, um, because before God and seeks security and, and reputation. But as God's children, we're secure in our relationship with God. We're secure in our identity. And so we don't need to garner other people's attention. And this is how Jesus lived, if you think about it. Jesus knew God as his father intimately throughout his ministry. In fact, Jesus addresses God as father more than any other title in the Gospels. And it was controversial in that day. You might not know this because it's so matter of fact to us today, but it was very controversial that Jesus addressed God as father. I don't know if you knew this, but in the entire history of Judaism and all existing books of the Old Testament and all extra biblical Jewish writings up to the 10th century, there is not one single reference to a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. That never happened. It was unheard of. There were proper titles that you used to when referring to God, and Father was not one of them. But then this rabbi comes along, Jesus comes along, and he's the first one to address God as Father. And he invites you and I to address him as Father as well. It's an intimate title. Jesus had a deep security in his relationship with God, and he wants to give us that relationship too. But you might remember, too, that there was an instance in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't address God as Father. Uh, an instance where it's hauntingly absent from his vocabulary. And it's on the cross where Jesus, in his darkest moment, called out to the one who he had addressed as Father up to that point more than any other title that he used in that day. Yet this time he shouted out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Never mentioning the word father. On the cross, Jesus lost the familiar relationship with his father. He was torn away as Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. On the cross, Jesus was actually forsaken by his father. He's kicked out of the family for a time, so to speak. So that you and I might be invited in. So that we might become sons and daughters of this Father in heaven. Jesus didn't get to call God Father on the cross so that you and I might now get the chance to call him our Father today. And that's the key. That's the antidote to hypocrisy. Adoption is the key to authentic spirituality. Through Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And if God is our Father, we can rest secure. He loves us. He accepts us. Just like I love being around my kids, I even get a kick out of my kids. God loves being around us. I hope I'm not being sacrilegious to say, I think God gets a kick out of us. I think He likes us. 
He wants to be around us. He wants to draw close to us. The real you and all of your failure and all of your glory. You and I can't earn more of his love by what we do and we can't lose his love by what we don't do. God is our reward. He is our father who sees us and loves us. And the question for you this morning is, do you know God is your father? Are you living out of your adoption, out of your sonship, out of your daughtership? Because it's the key to authentic spirituality. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you came in order to rescue us. Thankful for the way that you came and you lived in dependence upon your father. You were torn away from your father so that we might be brought into the family. We pray this morning that as we, um, as we think about that, that we would believe it more deeply and that you would use it to transform us internally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.